We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. If you have a Bible tonight, let's go over to Second Chronicles chapter 8. As we look at the last couple of chapters regarding the life of Solomon, and, uh, you know, here is a guy, the wisest man in the world, um, the wealthiest man who's ever lived, uh, one of the greatest workers. He had all these slaves and ethics and things that he could do so much, and yet, um, basically, he failed in his life. And basically, what I, what the Lord is showing me is that we all have so much potential. I don't know if you guys realize that about yourself, man, about yourself, that you have so much potential. I, I heard a quote this week, and it just really impacted me. One of the guys said that men can see uh, every seed in an apple, but God can see every apple in a seed. And that, when I think about that, I just think of the potential that's here, even in this room. And my prayer is that at the end of your life, there be no woulda, coulda, shouldas, that you will have reached your fullest potential. The reason he gave you the, the gold, the money that you have, the, really, the reason he gave you the gifts and the time and the opportunities that he's given to you, that we wouldn't be like Solomon, who in many ways wasted that potential, but that we would, uh, man, we would realize it. And so... It really happens the way you realize your potential by seeking the Lord. You know, by seeking the Lord with everything that you are, you know. And it's okay to go to school if God tells you to go to school. And it's okay for you to, you know, do all these other things if God tells you to. But the main thing is that God has to be the one directing your life. You have to have this relationship with Him where you stay close to Him, where you can honestly say that you hear His marching orders and that He's leading you. And make sure you don't miss out on that, you guys. Because look what we read here in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 8. It says in verse 1 that it came to pass at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house that the cities which Hiram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them and he settled the children of Israel there. Now David, when you study his life, he was known for his battles, right? You guys know about David? You guys know he fought the battles? Solomon, however, is known for his buildings. Although we're going to see one of the wars he's involved in tonight, primarily, you know, the things that he was able to build. Now there in verse 1, it talks about the end of 20 years. More than likely, that's in reference to the fact that it took him 7 years to build the temple, but it took him 13 years to build his own pad. And so that's kind of interesting. It took him twice as long to build his own house and his own house was twice as big as the temple. And so, you know, what does that tell you? I mean, again, I don't want to overread into it, but primarily we're going to see his heart was in his own house, not in the house of the Lord. And we're going to see tonight that those little signs that add up to significant signs that indicate that Solomon, although he had a wonderful start, he was beginning to head in the wrong direction. Uh, the termites were already eating away at his life. And so he mentions the cities there in verse 2. There are certain cities which Hiram had given to him. And it's funny, if you read 1 Kings 9, 11 through 18, that gives you some background. And there are probably cities that Solomon at first had given to Hiram. But Hiram went to go look at these cities and he called them Kabul, which means good for nothing. And he gave them back to Solomon. And then Solomon here is kind of building them up and populating them with people. Okay, And so... We read in verse 3, And Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and seized it. And so again, David's known for his battles, not Solomon, but here's one battle, the only one that we read about in the Bible, where Solomon did go out and get some land. Uh, we have a map uh, of so the extent of the kingdom. I don't know if you guys can see it uh, from where you are, but you'll notice there on the northeast region, that whole section right there, that Solomon captured in this war. And then later on, he's going to build fortified cities. Notice in verse 4, he also built Tadmor, which you'll see in the top section, in the wilderness, and also the storage cities, which he built in Hamath. He built Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon, 
fortified cities with walls and gates and bars. Also, Balath and all the storage cities that Solomon had and all the chariot cities and the cities of the cavalry and all that Solomon desired to build. Think about that. All that he desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his dominion. I mean, it's one thing to build like a room. Any of you guys ever done like an add-on to your house? I mean, that's a major project. And it would be another thing to build a house. Imagine that. My, father, uh, my father-in-law, he built a house. He built one in Orange County and one in East L.A. Um, imagine that. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Or building a building. Imagine that. I mean, I was reading one story. I don't know if you guys heard about this. A Chinese builder, he put up a 57-story skyscraper in 19 days. And so apparently it's a record. This Chinese construction company is claiming to be the world's fastest builder. And they're working on building another skyscraper, 220 floors, in only three months. And so some people are really into buildings. But imagine what we're reading right here. We're reading about him building cities. I mean, when you start a city, and you guys know how that goes, if you go down to Cambodia, you're going to see their drainage system is, is, is not, I don't know if they have one necessarily. I mean, when it rains and you're going to be walking and everything, um, you guys know all the engineering, all the stuff that's required to build a city. I mean, the roads, everything that's necessary. I mean, this is what Solomon is completely wrapped up on. He's totally engaged in this. You know, when you look at the storage cities, that there were places where chariots, horses, and arms, and food were stored for the use of the Jewish troops and others. We read right here about Upper and Lower Beth Haran, and they were there close to the area of Jerusalem. They were crucial to the security of the city and provided access to the International Coastal Highway. You know, Pastor Chuck was saying and reading this right here that in the ruins of Megiddo, if you guys ever go to Israel, you can still see the gates that Solomon built. Uh, per, uh, these particular six-chambered gates were Solomon's imprint, and his unique design made it difficult for Israel's enemies to take the city by force. And so, you know, in these six verses, five times you read about the, the you read the word built. He built. He built. He built. He built. He built. And then you read one time that he he was involved in building. And so, you know, it's obviously the emphasis of the Holy Spirit. Right, a lot of building. And a lot of people might be impressed by this. But you know what? There's a real interesting passage over in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4. In the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. It captures the real meaning of the passage. Solomon said, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. You know, there's a lot of people, they try to find meaning in accomplishments, in, in buildings, you know, in, in tasks, sometimes even... In moral giving, you know, they call it the social, you know, activities of life. And you try to find meaning in that, you know. But you guys, you got to be so careful that you don't, you know, neglect the Lord while you're trying to find meaning for your life in other ways, and other works. That's where Solomon went off track. At the end of his life, he had a lot of buildings. But imagine how much his life would have been different if he had built himself up in his most holy faith, if he had built up the people in their most holy faith. So much wealth, so many workers, there's no limit to the building that he could have done. But it's too bad that he didn't focus first on his spiritual life. You know, what will we do with the time we've been given, you guys? What are you going to do with the talents that you have the treasures that have been given to you, the wealth, the wisdom, the gifts, the gold. Man, I encourage you tonight to really have it in your heart that you're going to build yourself up spiritually, that you're going to build up your family, that you're going to be used by God in the ministry somehow to build up the people by doing what God's called you to do, by staying close to Him. We're going to see this uh, so much potential so much potential in your life. Who knows what God can do with you? And I can look at all you guys and say, wow, there's an amazing guy. I love this guy. I love that gal. God can do so many amazing things. I believe that. I wonder if you believe that about yourself. And you're like, well, how do I do it, Manny? And yeah, maybe you might go to Bible college if God leads you. Or I'm not sure really on the details about it. But I know this, that it's found 
and staying really, really close to the Lord, you know. Jude uh, chapter 1 in verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. See, and we're going to come back to this passage later, but do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the fact that you are supposed to build yourself up? You know, now that I'm going to be close to 50 years old, it's a lot different lifting weights than when I was in high school. Uh, I remember when I was in high school and I just start lifting and, you know, before, you know, you find results right away and next thing you know, you're putting more plates on and you think you're all bad, right? And uh, now, however, it's not the same. I'm lifting, I'm lifting. I'm like, man, why, why aren't I getting stronger, you know? And uh, it's just because they say that when you get older, your muscles, uh, they change. You can still improve, but it takes a little bit more work. But the, the concept is this, getting stronger. Getting stronger in my relationship with God. Getting stronger to where that same you know, insult or punch that that person throws at me, it doesn't knock me out anymore because I'm stronger now. You know, oh, Manny, you shouldn't be the pastor. That's fine. You can think whatever you want. But that doesn't insult me because if God doesn't want me here, then he can, he can take me out like that, right? And I know that for a fact. And, you know, I just share this with you guys because I know that um, if anything ever happened to me, my wife is worried about me going to Cambodia, maybe not surviving or the, the plane crash or whatever. And you know what? That would be a glorious way for me to go to heaven, uh, that would be awesome. I mean, but at the same time, you know, I'm not worried about the church. God has so many guys that can replace me in the blink of an eye. See, but when people say stuff like that or whenever they insinuate stuff like that, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't because, you know, we're growing in the Lord. You know, we're stronger in the Lord now. And someone gives you a dirty look or someone gives you the one-way sign while you're driving, if you know what I mean. You know, they cut you off in the freeway. You don't get mad anymore. Why? Because you're stronger in the Lord now. And this, you know, pretty girl with, who's dressed a certain way, you don't lock eyes on that. Why? Because you're stronger in the Lord now. He, he, we got to build ourselves up in this most holy faith. Are you stronger today than you used to be? Are you rooted and grounded in love? Are you looking for the mercy of the Lord? Those are things that we... We can be built up. And even in Colossians, I like what it says in chapter 2, verse 6. It says, You have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You know, here we see Solomon was building buildings. And maybe, you know what? It impressed a lot of people. It impressed a lot of people. And, you know, one of the things that I see about this is that I think that was one of Solomon's problems. A lot of people are caught up in trying to impress others. Be careful with that. You know, um, we're going to see later, it's kind of ironic that the Queen of Sheba comes and she just, you know, tells Solomon all these great, you know, uh, compliments. And he almost like just soaks it all up, he eats it all up. It's almost like that's what... He lives for. I just love it when people say nice things about me or great things about me. But be careful with that, you guys. First, you know, make sure that you're out to please the Lord because you can impress everybody, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're impressing God. Impress God. Bless God who sees everything. And then you're, you're going to be okay. You know, does that mean that Solomon couldn't build anything? No. I think he, he was supposed to build things. Um, I'm not saying necessarily everything he built, but he was supposed to build things. He was given the, the resources and the workers and the wisdom and the calling, I think. But he was supposed to still stay focused on the Lord. Okay? I was thinking about this when I was studying. You guys know Pastor Chuck Smith, right? That guy was involved in so many building programs. I mean, when they bought, you know, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, they came from a small church and they bought this lot of land and they set up a tent and they built a church. 
And that was kind of going to be symbolic or iconic of what would happen for the rest of his ministry as he's building things all around the world and he's building, you know, Marietta or remodeling it. Next thing you know, he's got the, the Logos building. I mean, buildings everywhere, right? But he finished well. What a contrast between Chuck and Solomon. And so, you know, you guys be careful, man. It's okay to build, I would say, in one sense. It's okay to work that work, whatever God's called you to do. But make sure you're building yourself up and you're getting stronger and you're being used by the Lord, hopefully, to get others stronger and being built, them being built up in their most holy faith as well. And so we read next in verse 6, it says also um, Baalath and all the storage cities, I'm sorry, verse 7, all the people who were left of the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who were not of Israel, that is their descendants who were left in the land after them whom the children of Israel did not destroy from these Solomon raised forced laborers as it is to this day. But Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, captains of his officers, captains of his chariots and his cavalry, and others were chiefs of the officials of King Solomon, 250 who ruled over the people. And so he begins by talking about all these uh, foreigners in verse 7 that were in the land. And, you know, you kind of read it here, and it almost sounds like it's okay, but in one sense, it's not. It's kind of funny how your past will catch up to you. Maybe for the last 10 years, 7 years, 5 years, I don't know, you've been sowing bad seed, and you think you get away with it. It's going to catch up to you, unless you really repent, unless you really get right with the Lord. You know, this is the way, he basically says, that the workers were organized by Solomon, and you have all these foreigners living in the land who are forced laborers. And some might look at this and think it's good. But really, any way you look at it, it's not good. It's not good for you know cities or kingdoms to be built on the shoulders of slaves. That's not good. And in this case in Israel, they were actually there because of the fact that previous generations had failed. Remember when the Israelites first conquered the land, the sin of the people was so severe of that land, the Canaanites, that God called them to wipe them out, right? To execute his judgment upon them. But the Israelites didn't do what God called them to do. They didn't walk right. They didn't war right. And so what happened was they were in Israel. They couldn't do it. And then they wouldn't do it. And they left them there in the land. Now let me say this to you guys as Christians. There is no sin that you cannot overcome. Okay? I don't care what it is. And you might be here making excuses. No. You know what? Those excuses are weakening you. You know, you give your valid reasons. Well, this is why I keep slipping. Or this is why I keep whatever the case is, man. As If God lives in you, then there is no sin that you can't expel. You got to know that first of all before you can overcome. See, the children of Israel, they left them there. They, oh, there's iron chariots there and there's giants in this section of the land and, and we can't do it. So if you believe you can't do it, then you won't be able to. But if you believe Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then you will. See, and what happened when the children of Israel went in, they didn't expel the people that should have been expelled. They didn't wipe them out. They didn't take care of business. And in the end, it came back to bite them, right? And they disobeyed God by not coming completely clean. Maybe you're here tonight and you're dabbling with sin. You're not completely clean. You have areas of your life that you know you need to surrender and you're refusing to do so. Solomon had a half heart. And you're going to end up like him. The people of Israel chose tribute over triumph. They chose convenience over obedience. And with these people, as an added ingredient, the disobedient would eventually be taken down. And so there you are, and your life is over. You don't reach your potential. And it's a wasted life, maybe a saved soul, but a wasted life. 
I'm here to tell you tonight in this study that Solomon had the most potential that anyone ever had. But he never realized it. He didn't even come close to realizing it. And I don't want that to happen to you, and I don't want that to happen to me. I need to take my walk with the Lord seriously. And seeking Him in prayer and in the Word and in obedience, right? Don't allow anything to linger any longer in your life if it doesn't belong. It could even be a a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Look at verse 11. Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. You know, it's interesting. Solomon has a wife. Uh, She's from Egypt, which is symbolic of the world. He marries her, and he says, You know what? She can't be over here because she's not a believer. And so I need to kind of spread some distance between her and the Ark of the Covenant. And so he knew she wasn't a believer. So why did he marry her? You know, and we know, of course, that that's wrong. You know, right here it's interesting. The Pharaoh referred to was uh, this guy, Siaman. Uh He was of the 21st dynasty, and apparently this dynasty was weak. And the Egyptians hoped to reestablish them in Palestine, Cells, but they found a force stronger than them, and that was Israel. And so history tells us that that it was wiser to make peace with Israel. And so Solomon married her. You know, it was a political alliance. I'll bet you anything, although I, there's no pictures, there's no videos, I'll bet you she was beautiful. Huh. She was probably fine, man. She had all the, the, you know, makeup, whatever, looks and stuff. And you're thinking, man, she's so beautiful. Solomon thought it would be beneficial from a political perspective, right? And from men's eyes, of course it would be, but it would be devastating in the long run. Here's the thing, okay, you guys, it it really doesn't take a degree in theology to be right with the Lord. You know, you're like, maybe you're here tonight and you're like, Manny, I don't know as much of the Bible as that person over there or that person over there, or I can, you know, whatever. I I haven't been walking with the Lord that long. I'm here to tell you this, that your failures are going to be you and I when we disobey on the things that are already so clear. You don't need to have a degree in theology to know how you're supposed to treat people or you know, speak to your wife or your kids or, or pray or you know, serve. I mean, one of the things in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, in verse 17... Uh, the, the Bible tells us that Israel's king was not to multiply wives to himself lest they turn his heart away from the Lord. But that's exactly what Solomon did. I mean, when you look at the instructions for kings, it's not a lot of verses. It's like maybe six verses in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17. You know, don't multiply wives because they might turn your heart away. And what does Solomon do? He multiplies wives. He had 300 wives. Imagine that. One's hard enough, right? Imagine having 300 wives. Now, the interesting thing in Deuteronomy 17, and I don't want to overdo it, but if you just take the text at face value, it doesn't even say anything there about marrying foreign wives. It just says don't multiply wives, period. Right? Because, like I said earlier, one's hard enough. I'm serious, man. Right? Right? And so you start adding more to it, two, three, four, 300 wives. How are you going to serve the Lord if you have 300 wives and 700 concubines, and especially when those wives themselves are not Christians? It messed them up. See, you want to wait on the Lord, and you want to make sure that your, uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend is a Christian. And whatever you do, don't go missionary dating. Don't, don't go find this girl, and she's, oh, she's so pretty. Let me invite you to church, you know, because I like you, and I'm falling in love with you, you know. And then you can get saved, and then we'll get married. And next thing you know, because I've had stories like this where the, the guy pretended like he was saved, but he wasn't. And so after they got married, he said, oh, yeah, by the way, you know. <laughs> And his life, his true colors came out. That happens a lot. So right here, the thing that I see is that we have to be so careful that we don't 
marry, that we don't date. Um, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And the answer is none. What communion has light with darkness? And the answer is none. You know, you're a believer. And one of the most important parts of your life is going to be fellowship. And if you hook up with a non-believer, then you won't have fellowship. And that's so important. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And so especially your, you know, your wife or your husband. You know, I, I, I just encourage you, make 100% sure that they're Christians before you fall in love. Okay, Before you give your heart to them. Now, that great poet, Lecrae, he said in reference to paradise, what? <laughs> he, said, he, he talks about paradise, and he says, life is like a paradise, so watch, watch the ones you're rolling with, right? Your friends, especially the one that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Solomon here, he ends up marrying the, this gal from Egypt, not a believer. Just things are starting to fall apart in his life. Solomon wasn't really white with the Lord, but he knew how to play church. Look at verse 12. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the vestibule, according to the daily rate offering, according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbath, the new moon, and the three appointed yearly feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and according to the order of David his father, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their service, the Levites for their duties to praise and serve before the priests as the duty of each day required, and the gatekeepers by their divisions at each gate. For so David, the man of God, had commanded. They did not depart from the command of the king to the priests and Levites concerning any matter or concerning the treasuries. And so... Inside, the termites are eating him up because he's not a man of integrity. He's compromising and compromising and compromising. But on the outside, it looks pretty good, right? I mean, he's offering offerings and altars that he himself had built. He's keeping the feasts that God had prescribed annually. He's keeping them faithfully. He's making sure that things are in line and organized in the ministry as his father David had set in motion and just making sure that they were staying on track, right? This was from the beginning. We read in verse 16, Now all the work of Solomon was well ordered from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. And so, you know, from the very beginning, man, he's like boom, 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 right? And he's offering these offerings and he's doing these things every year, three times a year, making sure things are right in the ministry, when in his own heart, he was, he was drifting away. And that can happen, you guys. It can happen. And we can even deceive ourselves into thinking that because I'm doing all those externals, that I'm right with the Lord. When deep down inside, you know that you're not. You know, you got to get back into fellowship with God. You have to get back into that intimate time with Him and you're praying and and you're seeking Him with all your heart and soul. You know, because if we're not careful, a lot of these things that we're doing are, will just become routine and mundane. And we're going to get real comfortable with the outside of holy things, right? You know, there's a reason the Lord wanted all the men to come together three times a year. These are the feasts that are mentioned here in this section. Uh, you can read about them in Exodus 23, 14 through 17. And really the three feasts that are mentioned here, look, it says in verse 13, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, that would be combined with Passover, okay? So Passover was one day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then the Feast of Weeks, that would be later on in Pentecost. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's three feasts that are mentioned there. And uh, to believers today, these three feasts signify the death of Christ the resurrection of the Christ, and which was then conjoined with the Holy Spirit, and then looking forward to the tabernacle one day when we're home in heaven. And it's interesting because these three things parallel the way that Jude says you're supposed to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Uh, one is the love of God, which goes with the cross. 
One is praying in the Holy Spirit, which goes with the day of Pentecost. And the other is looking forward to that mercy of heaven. You know, and, and for us, you know, the, the cross, the power and person of the Holy Spirit, and that place in heaven, I'm telling you, if you learn on these things what the Bible says, then you're going to build yourself up. That's why the Lord said three times a year, I want all you guys to come together and to celebrate these things. Solomon was doing that, but the thing is, is his heart wasn't really in it. And so we read next in verse 17, Then Solomon went to Ezion, Geber, and Elath on the sea coast in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent him ships by the land of his servants and servants who knew the sea. And they went with the servants of Solomon to Ophir and acquired 450 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. And again, you should have a map there, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, there you see in the bottom section, Ophir, right there, you see. Uh, left is Cush, and the, in the middle is Ophir. And, uh, and that's, man, they traveled all the way down. Uh, where you see the Red Sea split to the right is with the area of Edom that eventually was controlled by Solomon. And then they sailed these ships all the way down there to Ophir, and supposedly an, an Ophir was where the best gold was. And so he's all into this, huh? He's into the gold, he's into the gals, and he's into the glory, right? Billy Graham said there's three things that will take a man down, either gold or gals or glory. When you're struggling with all three of them, you're a goner. And that's what happened to Solomon. Look at Verse 1 of chapter 9, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions. Having a very great retinue, uh, camels that bore spices, golden abundance, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And so Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her, even algebra. I mean, he knew everything, right? And when the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And so we have here a personal testimony. Actually, many rulers came to visit Solomon. We see that throughout the scriptures. But here we have one example of the Queen of Sheba. Now again, we're not 100% sure where Sheba actually is. If our map is still up there, you'll notice that there's a question mark next to Sheba. Uh, if that's the case, it would be modern-day Yemen, right? But it's interesting, there's a, a, a theory out there. The Ethiopians claim that she was actually from Ethiopia, uh, and they make uh, some pretty big claims along with that. They say that Solomon and her had an intimate relationship, that she became pregnant, and that the descendants of Solomon ruled for centuries in Ethiopia. And so it makes for a good soap opera, um, but I don't know for sure if that's true. But at the same time, looking at the condition of Solomon, where he was right now, you know, it sounds like it could be, right? Um even Chuck Smith said it's possible, but it can't be verified. Anyways, when she saw everything, that she went and uh, asked him question after question. There was nothing he couldn't answer. Um, man, she was overwhelmed. Um, look real quick at 1 Kings 4. This guy Solomon was, was, a, was super smart. 1 Kings 4, 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. This Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. 
He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. This guy was super smart, big heart, wisdom. You guys ever watch Jeopardy? You ever watch Jeopardy? He would have won all the the Jeopardy. He would have never lost. So much potential. The wealth, the wealthiest man who has ever lived. The wisdom, not just, you know, the, the practical wisdom, not just the spiritual wisdom, but the intellectual wisdom that he had. The workers behind him. I mean, the relationship with so much potential this guy had. When the Queen of Sheba came and she asked him all the hard questions, she was overwhelmed with his wisdom, his wealth, his waiters, the seating, the service, the clothing, the cupbearers, the entryway on the way to the Lord. She was blown away by everything. Uh, she was a skeptic at first. Watch, if you go back to Second Chronicles, in chapter 9, verse 5, it says, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words, and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. You know, what an opportunity to be a witness, huh? That Solomon had been given. And all these gifts. Man, what an opportunity to bring glory to God. And, and, and when she saw this superficially, even the Queen of Sheba was able to see you know, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who indeed loved Israel. But at the end of the day, they ended up being like the antithesis of a witness. Because what if, you know, for a while there, you're like a right-on witness, but then the Bible says when the righteous falter, it's like a dirty pond water. It ends up being worse when they fall. That's what happened with Solomon. At one time, he could have been a great witness. He could have died with integrity, but he didn't, right? It's interesting. uh, She says there in verse 7, happy are your men, and happy are these your servants. You know, and, and I don't think they were as happy as she thought they were. You know, I really don't think that, right? You know, later Solomon would summarize it all as vanity. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know, without the Lord, I don't care how much money you have, it's empty, right? And so he wrote that book. Uh, I mean, the unthinkable had happened while he had backslidden. Do you guys ever think you'll backslide? Hopefully you say, I'll never backslide, you know. Earlier we read in in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7 about how the Lord spoke directly to Solomon. And he said, if, if you stay on track, like all your sons, they're going to be in great shape and they'll have the the throne as well. And I'm sure when when Solomon heard those words, like I'm sure at that juncture of his life, He was thinking, I will never backslide. Never. And I guess in one sense, it's okay to to have that heart. Lord, I'm with you, you know, no matter what happens to me. But you have to, you have to stay close to the Lord. You have to make sure you don't get caught up in the wealth or the women or the work that can drive you away from God, right? When he's no longer your number one passion. Do you think God is cool if he's number two in your life? He's not. He still loves you. But you're already on the road to ruin. He's got to be number one. 
So here's Solomon in a backslidden condition, and he just didn't heed the warning that the Lord had given him. You know, even the Queen of Sheba knew why he had been set there. Look again at verse 8. This is why he had been set there. He made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. You know, she knew why he was there. Righteousness. But apparently he forgot. You know, his pitfall is the gold, the girls, the glory. Look again now at verse 9. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, and precious stones. There never were any spices such as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir, brought algum wood and precious stones and the king made walkways of the algum wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house also harps and stringed instruments for singers there were none such as these seen before in the land of Judah now King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all she desired whatever she asked much more than she had brought to the king so she turned and went to her own country she and her servants. So she brings gold. Solomon's getting gold. We're going to see in this chapter, gold is mentioned 16 times. Um, I don't know. This is weird. You guys know I'm weird, right? Some of you do. I thought it was interesting how David, you know the woman that kind of took him down was Bathsheba. Now here's Solomon dealing with a gal named Sheba. I don't know if this is a play on words or not. Um, But, you know, perhaps in one sense, each woman exposed for us to see the weakness of these kings. You know, here were guys that could conquer. Here were guys that had so much potential. But they completely forgot the greatness of God. And they they got caught up in their own greatness. Real, real crazy place to be. It's foolish. And so we read in verse 13, check this out. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. When I was younger, I used to have a lisp, and I used to say 600. No, I won't do that now. My wife, so every once in a while, she'll mention, hey, watch your lisp. Besides what the traveling merchants and traders bought, and all the kings of Arabia and governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon, And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold, 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. You know, I I don't want to end too late, so I'm going to try to go through this real quick. But 666... That reminds me of Revelation, right? Chapter 13, verse 18. It's the number of the devil. And so, you know, seven being the number of perfection, six being the number of man. Here we have it three times repeated. This is like the the number of the enemy. And again, I don't want to make too much about it, but I think it's interesting here um, as we see the, the same number is used. If you ever get 666 on your license plate, I encourage you to change that in, okay? Some people will drive around. I'm like, sweetheart, don't follow them, you know. (laughs) And he takes the gold, and think about this. He takes the gold, and he makes these big old shields with them. And you guys know how heavy that would be? What good is that? I tell you what, what would you rather have, a shield of gold or a shield of God? I'd rather have a shield of God. See, when you get caught up in, oh, my bank account's my security, my retirement's my security, and you start looking at things and making decisions economically or financially without seeking the Lord, then you're in big problems. Right? Genesis 15:1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your exceedingly great reward. See, the father of the faith had been written, this had been written. God said, Hey, I'm your shield. God will protect you. You don't need gold shields, right? And then later on, even David said the same thing in Second Samuel 22, verses 2 through 4. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust my shield. 
and the horn of my salvation. God will protect you. When I go to Cambodia and that plane's up in the air, you know, God will protect me. You know, and sometimes it might even be more dangerous walking around here. You just never know, right? Look at verse 17. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps with a footstool of gold, which were fastened to the throne, and there were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Can you guys visualize that? This has been amazing. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. And we can just go on and on, you know. If only Solomon had remembered the true king with the truth on the truth throne. But he forgot all about the Lord, right? In verse 20, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. That probably made the, the orange juice taste better, huh? <laughs> and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one, not even one was silver. Uh, for this was an accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. That might be peacocks. We're not sure. You know, when I think about this, I think what a, a waste, right? Not only waste of gold, but waste of life. Jesus said in Luke twelve fifteen, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Okay, now more than likely there's no you know billionaires here or millionaires here, but why did why does God allow some to be rich, so that they can make gold cups, so that they make gold shields, so that they could increase their standards of living? I don't think so. I think God gives us that 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 extra that surplus to increase our standards of giving. Not our standards of living, right? First Timothy 6, in verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. You see? And Paul said the same thing in Acts 20, verse 35, It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so we read in verse 25, Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. So he reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. And they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt ouch and from all lands now the rest of the acts of solomon first and last are they not written in the book of nathan the prophet in the prophecy of ahijah the shilonite and the visions of iddo the seer concerning jeroboam the son of nebat solomon reigned in jerusalem over all israel 40 years and solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of david his father and rehoboam his son reigned in his place and we're going to see that because of Solomon's sin, that his son Rehoboam only gets two out of the 12 tribes. The rest 10 are stripped away from him because of his sin. And it's a heavy lesson for us, you guys. It really is. When you look at this right here and the way that he finished, I think Solomon was a believer. And that's the thing. I think he was a believer. I believe that when we go to heaven one day, we're going to see him there. And we're going to trip out. We're going to slap him. What's wrong with you? No, we won't do that in heaven. But he's an example of someone who could have so much potential and waste it. You know, like you've heard us say a million times, a, a saved soul and a, and a wasted life. How did it happen? You know, he directly disobeyed God's clear commands, not multiplying wives, not multiplying gold, not trusting in gold, not multiplying horses. It's like everything God told them directly not to do, he did anyways. Why? Because it was culturally acceptable. It was even expected by kings of those days. But we've got to remember that the standards of the world don't apply to the standards of God's people. 
And so one day we'll give an account. God sees everything. The chronicler doesn't say anything in this section, but 1 Kings chapter 11, it, it tells us the whole story. And so let me just close with, with this, you guys. Um, William Shakespeare said, We know what we are, but we know not what we may be. And he said it in the context of either good or bad. You can be a savior, you can be a skunk. That's kind of what they said. And, and my, my prayer is that you would see it as a call to being all that God wants you to be. No matter where you're at right now. You know, I'm thinking, and I want to close actually with, with this, um, the fight this Saturday. Manny Pacquiao um, and uh, what's the other guy's name? I forgot. <laughs> we need a miracle, huh? In order for Manny Pacquiao to win, and the only one of the main reasons I'm rooting for him is because he's a Christian. He he really loves the Lord. But do you guys did you ever read a story about how he started off? You know, when he first started off, he didn't have they didn't have any food. Dad wasn't there. Mom was there. Manny was the oldest of all the boys. And so, you know, they didn't have any income. And so, you know what ended up happening? There were open doors in the village that he was at. Eventually, at the age of 12, he started fighting. And if he won the fight, he would get $2. If he lost the fight, he would only get $1. So he really wanted to win the fight, you know, for that extra dollar. And, you know, next thing you know, here's a guy that rises from absolute abject poverty to where you know he reaches the the pinnacle of the boxing world and and now he is a living ambassador for Jesus Christ and he is influencing the whole wide world now let me just close with this if god can do that through Manny Pacquiao do you think god can do something like that through you i would say yes I would say yes. Just follow Him with all your heart. Don't miss the potential that lives within you. Because remember, like I said earlier, yeah, we can see all the seeds in an apple, but God sees all the apples in the seed. And I believe that He wants to do a greater work.